Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today we're talking about cosmetics and cannabinoids. We are joined by the founder of Satori Minds, Kristen Adams. Kristen, thank you for being here with us this evening. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, and we know that you come uh, into this industry and, and bringing your consulting knowledge, uh, really working with many, many brands in the cosmetic space. But before we jump into all of the exciting things that are happening with more brands bringing in CBD and minor cannabinoids in, in cannabinoid-infused products, let's talk a little bit about Kristen. Uh, you had mentioned when we spoke the last time that... Uh, you spent last fall in Bali. And of course, uh, we don't talk a lot about Asian countries and how they uh, intersect with the global cannabis industry, but tell us a little bit about just being in Bali. And if you could, whether or not cannabis is really uh, part of that culture in the same way we're accustomed to it here in the States. Uh, wow, Bali, my newest recent favorite subject. Um, I spent two months there last fall, I was wrapping up a few projects and decided to take some time off mind, body, and spirit. I left all of my CBD products at home. <laughs> so um, uh, Indonesia is um, one of the countries, even though it's neighboring country, a short four-hour flight away, Thailand is a little bit more open. Indonesia definitely is not very friendly to cannabis at any level. So um, I stuck to meditation and breath work and just chilling on other levels and uh, left the CBD at home. But uh, I really enjoyed that, that trip. And um, it, being in a creative space and doing a lot of creative work uh, in product development, it, I think it's really necessary to take those breaks. So that was my reason for Bali. Or uh, excuse. That's fantastic. That, that sounds like a, a, a tremendous journey. And when you think about sort of that conservative nature and the, the attitudes towards cannabis in that region of the world. You know, how do you, mm. how do you, how do you make sense of the fact that Thailand, for example, just came out the other day and, and, and noticed that they were going to advance medicinal cannabis legislation. Um, and what I'm told is it's because the, the dollars uh, for the Thai economy are, are primarily driven or in large part, at least by tourism uh, and the idea is yeah. that with COVID, uh, there's not a whole lot of tourism, but there's also this notion of sort of the medical tourism. And I think that's the, the notion, at least that's what I've been told behind this. How, how do you take a conservative place? And, and as you point out, Thailand's probably a little bit more progressive, but at the same time, mm. how do you, how do you juxtapose that? Just given your exposure to that culture, that policy says one thing, but attitudes and perception about that thing are just so, uh, so strictly interpreted. Right. Uh, well, I spent all, almost all my time, except for one amazing weekend in Bali and not in Thailand, but uh, Indonesia in general, from my experience, very brief experience, is, um, is an amazing country and culture, but uh, very traditional. And, um, and it's interesting how, you know, Malaysia and Singapore and the Philippines, each one has a very distinctive stand on um, quote-unquote drug culture or um, any kind, even alcohol, 
even alcohol is a little bit hard to come by or very expensive in Indonesia. So I, I, I don't know if it will change that. I'm just, just from a, a layman's perspective, not, I don't know how much it will change um, in Indonesia as compared to Thailand, even with the example of Thailand reinvigorating their economy with uh, cannabis and uh, industrial hemp. I don't know how much it will change. And you would think even from the, um, from the fiber side of the conversation, there would be an interest in, uh, because all of these countries, especially Indonesia, have a, a pretty vigorous um, fabric, uh, clothing uh, industry and fabric industry. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting and complex conversation in such a diverse region. Yeah, it, re- it really is. And as we mentioned, it's not something we've delved too deep in on the Hobbit Minute and, and certainly something that we will continue to explore in the future. But bringing it back uh, here to the U.S., you have crafted a, a space for yourself in consulting with these uh, natural products brands and companies to explore the possibility of, of CBD or other cannabinoids in their products. And you, of course, had your own experience in the natural product industry and the, the cosmetics industry. Give us just a flavor of what that industry is like uh, and what the temperature is, I guess. Is it getting, are they getting warmer to cannabinoids? Uh, and then what are the holdups? Just kind of give us a, a, a sense, if you will. Sure. Well, my background is in natural cosmetics. Uh, I founded and ran my own natural cosmetic, color cosmetic company for 15 years. I acquired a skincare, a natural skincare company and sold it as well. And uh, we distributed through dermatologist offices and salons and spas. So for me, CBD and uh, all the cannabinoids are just, they're amazing active ingredients. And I... I have just an, a, personal, a personal affinity for the plant and the power of what it can do uh, at the individual level and the economic level. So I have a lot of passion for this ingredient and, um, all, and everything it is all the way through the, to the terpenes. And um, I was, when I started in the natural world, it, it was very much like the cannabis world is now, where it was very fringe and very edgy to have a natural cosmetic company that didn't use a lot of the more traditional um, scientific ingredients that were um, traditionally used in cosmetics. And I really see the place of, of um, CBD being in, the, in, the, in that nascent space that natural cosmetics once was, but on the ingredient side. So CBD and all of the other cannabinoids, I really feel have so much untapped potential to act as the active ingredient or an active synergistic component within uh, natural cosmetics and even traditional cosmetics as one of the natural components. So I have been, uh, yes. No, I I was going to say that that, that, continue on. This is, this is a fascinating topic because there's so many elements to uh, cosmetics and just the skincare industry as a whole. uh, I'll touch on that. And you know, when you talk about skincare, what what I was going to suggest is, you know, I, I think of, of course, there's, there's cosmetic, cosmetics for the beautification of the skin, but there's also sunblock, right? 
sunblock, and, and, mm-hmm. and this is an interesting thing, and I'd love your take on this. So I read an article last week that talked about mainstream sunblock or so-called, you know, th- there's reef-safe sunblock or so they called. Uh, and, and right. you know, for example, you can't go to the beach in, in, a pla- in Oregon without there being signs all over the place that say, and, and, and you'll get shamed off of that beach if you're not visibly using something that is reef-safe because of the impact that, mm-hmm. that sunblock causes uh, as it relates to, to the creatures in the sea. But the idea that sunblock enters into your bloodstream very quickly in far mm-hmm. more quantities, particularly with the new varieties and the aerosols and, and things of that nature that spray on. So there's this notion mm-hmm. of using CBD as an ingredient for sunblock from a variety of com- companies. What's your take on that? Is that something that, that, that they're talking about or they're looking at or that you've had discussions about? Uh, and do you see CBD as a viable component to sunblock-like products? Possibly, yes. I have heard of it and I ha- have had discussions uh, about it. The thing about um, all sunblocks, uh, ideally, reef safe is always the goal and the ideal. Um, with sunblocks, there are lots of natural sun blockers and some of them are physical blockers that come from minerals and some of them are come from oils coconut oil jojoba oil there are other oils that also have certain um, sun blocking effects but um, cbd in its isolation and um, i would like for it to stand on its own instead of instead of being within a formula where some of the other ingredients may be contributing to that spf factor i i haven't seen enough they're called in vitro and in vivo lab tests. And those are the tests that the FDA requires to have an SPF claim on your product. Um, another interesting part about the, since I work on both the traditional cosmetic side and the, the growing cannabis, side, cannabis culture side of the um, product development industry, where they don't have a background in cosmetics, so they're, they're launching companies and brands and individuals are launching products without a lot of the wherewithal about what is necessary to make certain claims and um, physicians. Yeah, I would love to say CBD can be a sunblock, but I, I haven't seen enough clinical evidence that on its own it could hold, it could withstand the sunblock claim. But amazing. And, and on many different levels, like on, I think that there is a huge potential with all the cannabinoids, CBG, CBN2, to uh, address some of the issues we have with preservative systems, antimicrobial and antifungal and antibacterial, not only for just preserving, helping preserve products, but also helping with topical irritations on the skin that might have to do with a bacterial fungal infection. So there, there are just so many applications. There are, and, and you raise this great point, which is when you're talking about claims or you're talking about what CBD can do, we still need more research, which I, I, I love that you say that. And then you start to think about all those different applications. You think about the breadth of research that is necessary. But I want to ask you this, because I know you spend uh, time on the conference circuit and you have for a couple of years uh, with these, mm. where, you know, the conferences that L'Oreal and Procter and & Gamble and Unilever are, are attending. Let me ask you this. We know that they're sitting on the sidelines right now for the most part when it comes to CBD uh, products, but is it more so because they're waiting for the FDA, which is a very fair thing to wait for, that, that regulatory clarity, or are these big companies also very interested in that research component, that they don't want to just throw CBD as an ingredient into every product. They want to actually see and verify 
that it in, indeed enhances a product, makes it more efficient and effective. What, what do you think? Do you think it's a mixture of both, or is it mainly just the, well, they're waiting for the FDA side, and then it's going to be CBD and everything? So when I, the conferences that I, I, I do speak at some industrial hemp conferences, but I also speak at uh, cosmetic compliance conferences and um, mostly on the regulatory side of the cosmetics. So in product development for these large cosmetic companies, there is the R&D side, that's the scientific side, and then there is like the innovation and marketing side, and they all collaborate together to come up with a trending product that usually has a key ingredient and then the R&D and scientific side has to make sure that they can validate those claims and create a product that is exceptional for the um, price point that they're looking to achieve. So they do spend a lot of time making sure that they can achieve the claims that they want to and of course marketing as much loftier claims and often the scientific side can... Um, formulate too so it's a back and forth negotiation and at the end of that funnel is regulatory and legal and so they all have to come together and then go to bat with regulatory and legal to make sure that this product can be brought to market without being recalled or having FDA warning and um, and so who I who I'm speaking to is the regulatory and I'm neither speaking just about the psychographics and demographics of the natural cosmetic consumer and what they're actually looking for and why they're now looking at CBD and why this is trending. And then um, often I go with uh, attorneys and I'm kind of the um, interpreter for the, inter for the attorneys with this group to, um, to speak to their concerns. They are, the, the big players in the industry are all playing uh, at the innovation and R&D level with CBD. But a lot of times it depends on their brand. If CBD and um, and kind of the zeitgeist around this specific ingredient um, and also the stigma doesn't align with the brand itself, like Chanel is probably not going to roll out a CBD product. But Kiehl's, which is kind of an apothecary brand that's owned by Lester um, Lauder um, or L'Oreal, by, by a large company, they they have a more apothecary position, and so they are they are dipping their toe in the water with hemp seed oil. And um, I I'm fairly confident that the way the trend is going to go is that Origins, Peels, some of these larger companies that are or or own subsidiaries of larger companies, they are rolling out a product that has cannabis leaves all over it and says made with cannabis sativa seed oil in small letters. So it's, it's a lot of public confusion, but it actually helps them. It positions the, pro, the brand and the product to very easily pivot to one that now includes CBD. At the same time, huge companies like Avon and um, Elf, which is uh, um, a more mass market cosmetic company, Golden Target, they have both come out online with CBD product lines, with skincare lines. So it's it's interesting to see who is taking the risk and who is like sitting on the sidelines, but they're all looking at it. You know, Chris, and I, I attended a uh, conference in Chicago last year called flavors and Fra fragrances. And to your point, yeah. there were large, uh, large companies with global distribution, there, learning mm -hmm. and identifying where would I even start to source this material, so forth and so on. 
so that they could yeah. internally develop. And that really was the theme is we're, we're not going to jump right into um, a CBD product, but we'd like to play around with it and understand what it does so that when mm-hmm. that when that moves forward and the path is clearer, we can we can go down that road. And and to your point about using hemp seed oil, uh, that's the safest pathway. We've consulted with uh, large toothpaste manufacturers and beverage manufacturers, mm-hmm. and they come in and they said, uh, for example, we want to put CBD in this toothpaste. And you say, whoa, 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 you got to understand the regulatory landscape, and it's not as clear as you would like it to be, given your size and risk tolerance. And ultimately, yeah. they evolved into putting hemp seed oil in there. So I, I agree with you. It does beg the question, though, uh, what rights, what, what protections need to be in place for consumers, right? If I see hemp, I don't know. Your average person in the street doesn't understand the difference between hemp seed oil and a, a, a cannabinoid-enriched oil. Uh, and, and there's going to be right. confusion, which seems to be intentional in part but not necessarily misleading. And, and so, you know, there's going to be some challenges there. Uh, topicals have been the topic of the day as it relates to distribution in retail outlets. We've seen uh, CVS mm-hmm. focus on topicals. We've seen other uh, locations put topicals on the shelf far more easily as quote-unquote cosmeceuticals versus, uh, versus consu- consumable products where you put a tincture or, or a capsule in your mouth. So when I look at the topicals and when I think of cosmetics, um, I'm trying to identify what other parts of the hemp plant, what other parts of the plant would be uh, required or even could lend itself well. And I was in a facility yesterday um, in Colorado, and they had an enormous supply of lipids and waxes that are the waste product Mm -hmm. from the extraction process. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that with your expertise, because I, you know, I know enough to be dangerous about what lipids and waxes even are. But but talk talk a little bit about that in terms of when you source material and you put lipids and waxes, do you think that there's an opportunity to use the waste material from hemp extraction uh, that is those lipids and waxes for purposes of cosmetics? And, 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 you know, what what really do those things function in these products? Well, I don't think there's anything that can go to waste with the entire cannabis plant, um, all the way down to the root ball. I think that there, there's so much untapped potential um, at every level that can be, I, I feel, leveraged for purposes that are yet untapped. And um, even even just the the holes of the hemp seed after the after it's been pressed could be used as an exfoliator. Um, on different levels from the industrial all the way down to the um, personal care. Uh, the waxes and the, the waxes from every plant, so there are waxes that are used uh, in, co- in cosmetics, both traditional and natural cosmetics. And they're a very, po- they're a very important part of a cosmetic formula. They help um, create a barrier and pr- a protectant for the skin. And um, they're um, the esters. They're, I'm not a chemist, but it is definitely part of a of a cosmetic formula. And with the right cosmetic chemist, uh, an R&D chemist that does specialty ingredients, I'm, absolutely, it just has to be refined. And a lot of the a lot of the challenge with these things is that they can't happen at the they can't they they need to happen at an industrial scale because uh, all of these large companies that are looking to source these ingredients are looking to work with their trusted vendors that they already trust. And 
to know that they have a supply chain that can up, that can withstand the demand that they're going to have once they put this on every shelf in every Walmart and Target in the United States. So when they're looking for partners, they're looking for partners that can that can partner with them at scale and at volume and create a consistent product. And for them, the product is that ingredient at a price point that makes sense for them to even roll out the product. So there, um, from a business standpoint, there are a lot of different factors. And I do, in, in addition to working with just CPG, um, consumer goods companies, uh, I also work with ingredient suppliers, um, both uh, processors and ingredient suppliers that are more on the tech side, um, looking to enter the cosmetic space. And these are, these are real conversations if you, if you're, if you're not ready for that level of scale and consistency, then it's not time. Well, just, just, so on that point though, I just wanted to ask you, what, what is it that we can expect when the FDA is clear on what these rules are, given that these large retailers are, and, and product manufacturers, as you point out, are doing R and D, they are playing with these materials. What can we expect for the existing brands on the shelf today, pre-FDA rules, do they survive? Um, does this section get just enlarged? What's your prediction? I don't know. Well, will COVID kill it or will the FDA kill it? <laughs> um, the, I, I think, um, all right, so Epi Dialect kind of has the isolate market cornered. As far as the FDA, this is my this is this is my humble opinion about what may happen and what I've seen kind of play out. That's what we're um, looking for. That's exactly what we're looking for. My humble opinion. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, so, um, so, uh, CBD isolate has already been commandeered by the pharmaceutical industry through GW Pharmaceuticals and Epidiolex, and uh, but there there is a a level of the product and the ingredient and that may still be able to be considered um, at a different standard, like how we have food-grade standards and we have you know, just other, other standards, possibly like a personal care topical standard. Um, Sephora, who is one of the largest perfumeries for mid- and upscale cosmetics in the United States and in Europe, said, had created their own standard a few months back about what their CBD standard was because they started, they started to sell CBD products and brands. And one of the things in their standard, in addition to the CBD needing to be sourced from the United States, but it, it also could not be isolate. And I can't help but think that that isolate part of their standard, which wasn't very large, uh, was specific to hedging their hedging against what the FDA has already backed in terms of the pharmaceutical version of CBD. So if the FDA does come out with clarity uh, first for cosmetics, I think that that is the safest bet. Um, and that's probably why cosmetics are growing fairly fast. I did sit on a panel with um, a scientist from the FDA and she said that she thinks in the end, anything that includes CBD will be considered an OTC, an over-the-counter cosmetic. I think that was more of her opinion, but it must be based on something. So, um, well, and then for food, uh, which 
is not my area of expertise, but I believe it has to be considered grass before it can legally be put into food, technically. Um, and that may include animal studies. There's There's been so many whispers and headlines this week about progress, perhaps, coming and folks who are at the White House right now trying to determine at least a preliminary version of these rules, these long-awaited and very mysterious rules and what they're going to be. Uh, I just want to come back and just say that I really liked what you said about uh, that this is a plant where there is the potential for no waste. Everything along the, the path, you say those lipids are just left over from the, the extraction. Green buffalo, right? It's the green buffalo. Everything has a use. Even these, uh, these weird components of it that are left over from extraction or when you haul the, the seeds and you have those, there's something you can do with them. And, and you, know, you make that point about scale, uh, an industrial scale, which I think is just spot on. And I want to highlight uh, before we sign off that on the topic of uh, cannabis topicals and topicals with cannabinoids in them uh, you are launching next month an online course teaching entrepreneurs uh, how to create and market and get into that space which i think is so cool and you can learn more about at satoriminds.com Kristen, thank you so much for taking some time to to be with us here this evening thank you i really appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of the hoban minute Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.